somebody came up to me and they said, Pastor Rob, they said, you have a great marriage, great kids. You're up there preaching, you got the spiritual life going on. And yet your physical is so bad. And I was like, yeah, I'm like addicted to Little Debbie snack cakes. You know what I mean? I'm addicted. I got to admit, I was embarrassed. Like 38% body fat and 250 cholesterol. I just thought, wait a minute, I've got to change before I have to. And I have been there. Let me tell you something. I've been at the hospital where the guy has the heart attack and his whole life gets turned upside down. Worse than that, I have been there talking to the widow, devastated because her husband wouldn't change. What do you need to change? This is not like a weight loss clinic, okay? This is what do you need to change spiritually, relationally? Who do you need to forgive? What has God been just hammering on you and hammering on you and saying, it's time to change, it's time to change. We can either change because we have to, or we can change before we have to. All right, we are wrapping up the series here, and I've had a blast with this, and I want to give you a little review for those that were not here. And uh, in week one, we talked about if we're going to change before we have to, we have to realize that we were made to live a life of vitality, that a lot of us live in vulnerability, and moving from vulnerability to stability is not good enough. It's at least a step in the right direction, but God wants us to live an abundant life. Uh, the word we actually looked at was superabundance, enough for us and enough to spill over onto other people, and we use John 10.10. 10. Uh, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's vulnerability. But I have come that you might have life, that's stability, but life more abundantly, that's vitality and superabundance. Then in week two, we said if we're going to change before we have to, it's really a heart issue. It really is. It's going to have to happen in our heart. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite sermons I've preached in a long, long time, uh, talking about the heart, saying that we have to be humble, that we have to act now, and that God needs us to have a responsive heart, and that the opposite of a responsive heart is a stony heart. And I used Play-Doh to illustrate wax because the Bible talks about a responsive heart being soft and moldable and something that God can shape and form but that a hard heart is stony. And God says, I've replaced your stony heart and put in a soft heart, a responsive heart. Now, somebody wrote a, a review about the book and put it on uh, a newspaper, and they said, local pastor writes self-help book. And I thought, that's good. I'm glad they said that, and I'm glad they did the review. But I, I want to let you know it's not self-help, it's God help, okay? You, you have a part in this, you have a part to do, but God is the one that takes your stony heart and makes it a soft heart. You can't do it. And so it's God help, but you're being active in doing whatever God wants to do in you. So let's make sure we're clear on that. There's a difference between self-help and God help. Now, if we're going to change before we have to, we're going to face obstacles. How many know that's true? As soon as you say, all right, I'm going to change, I'm going to lose weight, all the neighbors show up with baked goods. How many know that's true? You say, I'm going to change, I'm going to overcome my anger problem, and you leave the church parking lot, somebody cuts you off, and you want to wave at them in a very not nice way. How many know what I'm talking about? All right, it just happens like that, boom, and, and you're, you're, you're faced with an obstacle. And facing obstacles, I want to let you know, is not a sign of weakness. Being defeated by the obstacles is a sign of weakness, but when you're facing obstacles, it, for, it just means you're going in the right way. 
Everything worth going after is going to take some effort. It's going to have an obstacle there. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. That's what John 10.10 says. There's a thief. He wants to destroy you. And as you go in the good, the enemy will want to stop that. He does not want you living in superabundance to have anything left over for anyone else. If you're going to follow Christ, the enemy's plan is that you will live on the edge of vulnerability. That's all he wants for you. If he can keep you at vulnerability, so he will fight you and fight you and fight you. So realize those obstacles are just a sign that you're going in the right direction. Now, if you're going to overcome these obstacles, first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to have a plan. You're going to have to have a plan. Where are you going forward with your plan and where are you going to stay away or put on defense? For instance, you say, I'm going to live pure for God. And I realize that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says that I should flee immorality. That's what it's saying. I should flee from it. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up a defense back here, and I'm no longer going to be around those things, and I'm going to start focusing on these things. I've got an offensive plan and a defensive plan. And you've got this in place. You have to do this. You have to have offense and defense. For me, it was, all right, I'm going into my pantry My offensive plan is I'm going to put good snacks in here that taste like cardboard. All right, that's what's going in here. And all the other snacks are going out, and I gave them to the kids because they have high metabolism, you know? (laughs) So I clear these out, and I place these in. I had a plan, and you have to have a plan. We can't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. That's what the Bible says. And we have to realize he has a strategy. Let's think about this. We want to be on offense and defense. We're going to have a plan. Second thing you have to realize if you're going to overcome the obstacles is overcoming obstacles was meant to be a team sport. You were meant to do this with other people. You were meant to do life together and we're to help one another. I can't tell you how many times the word of God says one another, one another, encourage one another, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you may be healed. It's a team thing. We are in this together. And you need to get help from them. And I can't tell you how many times I, I, I wanted to lay in bed and not go work out, but knowing that my trainer was there, knowing that he was there and would call me and harass me, you know, it got me out of bed because I knew he was there. And even though I was weak, I knew that he was there. And just the thought of someone else being in this with me got me to go there. Matter of fact, they've done this with heart attack victims. They've said, if you join a life group for heart attack victims, they actually have this. It's not just a church thing, okay? If you join a life group for heart attack recovery, 77% of the people that join that life group stay with the program and stay healthy and follow it all the way through versus the people that don't. So you were meant to be in community. In anything you're trying to beat or have victory in, you were meant to have others there that would help you. That's why Ecclesiastes says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's saying, hey, you were meant to be in this together. By yourself, you can get overpowered. How many know that you have to battle with your mind so many times when you're overcoming obstacles and that other person helps you to overcome the doubts in your mind? That's what you need. You need that person there. Another thing about this, if you're going to overcome obstacles, you can't go halfway. Halfway is miserable. Halfway is miserable. I feel bad for people that go to church and they just go halfway. There's a lot of people I've discovered that like to go to church just to feel better. 
They don't want to change. They, don't want to, they want to go to church because the music is uplifting. The pastor is, is positive most of the time. I had one person call me that said, you're like a poor man's Joel Osteen. You know, I was like, all right, I'll take that as a compliment, all right? I'm a positive guy, I guess. I'm on cable, he's on national TV. All right, I got it. Yeah, I'm a poor man's Joel Osteen. But he said, it's positive, you're good, you make me feel good. Okay, and we, we, we want to feel good. We like the music, we like the social time, we like friends, we like to say we're part of a church, but we don't want to change. And then when we get hit with the truth, we say, oh man, I'm going to find a church that's a little more, po- a little nicer. A little nicer, has a little more niceness on it. I don't like that I got challenged about sin. I don't like that he challenged me on that issue and he asked me to live pure and he asked me to do this and he asked me to forgive somebody and and now he's messing in my business and I'm gonna look for somebody that's nice because I just go there to feel good and it's like we want a guilt release but we don't want to change. Come to church saying, I want to change and I'm going all the way. As soon as you get one area under control, say, God, what's the next one? What's the next? I need superabundance in that area. I would like to have superabundance in every area. Amen. Change and you'll feel better. You get none of the benefits if you just go halfway because you're just fooling yourself. You're still unhealthy. You're still miserable. You get a little good, but you're still vulnerable. But you think you're living in vitality and you're not. Go all the way. If you're going to overcome these obstacles, you have to have a vision of the better future. Paul talks about pressing on, focusing on Jesus. I forget the things that are behind, and I'm looking forward. I've got a, a vision of, of the future. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm looking forward to the joy of a better future, and you've got to see where you're going. What am I going to live like in vitality? It's okay to think that way. It's okay to think, what am I going to live like out ahead? And you start having a vision of a better future. My doctor said he would tell people, you're going to die if you don't change. They'd be like, oh, well. You can't hold your grandchildren. You're never going to see them. And then they think, oh, I want to hold the grandchildren. He'd say other things in their life are going to be taken away. And they'd be like, I don't want that to be taken away. I have a vision of a better future. I think this is what ladies must be thinking about when they buy things that don't fit. (laughs) Right? You're like, I don't fit that dress, but I'm buying it. And I'm going to put it in my closet, and I'm going to have a vision of a better future. Someday I'm going to fit that thing. Guys, we, we don't do that. We're like, does it come in jumbo? I mean, we don't care. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, we're like, get rid of it, you know? That's one thing. We can't get rid of it. Ladies buy what they believe for. We have what we have, and then we can't get rid of it. I still have suits that are way too big because you just never know. So I'm like, hold it out, yeah. Yeah. I thought about it. I was going to give some away the other day, but how do I offend people? Hey, you're the size I used to be. I mean, I don't so. <laughs> Anyways, have a vision of a better future. Okay, so what happens if you fail? What happens when you fail? We're human. We fail. Let's be honest. We don't mean to fail. We don't want to fail. But we have a battle going on. We have a battle going on. And I want to tell you, failure is an event, not a destiny. Failure is an event, not a destiny. And some of us fail. We say, God, I want to live pure. So you make it six days. You've never made it six days living pure, and you fall. And all of a sudden you think, I fell. I'm out. I'm done. I might as well just keep sinning because I'm down. And uh, I, I'm out. Can't go to church. I'm out. I, I, 
this is me, I'm defined by this, game over, I've fallen, I'm down. And the enemy tells you that. He says, stay down, that's you, that defines you, see you couldn't make it. And he tries to convince you that failure is final. And it's not. Let me illustrate this to you the best way I can. If you understand football, this makes sense, but even if you don't, this should make sense, all right? Imagine in a football game that as soon as the first penalty was committed, it was game over. Imagine the Vikings are playing the Packers, and the Vikings kick off to the Packers. The Packers have the ball, they're running, and somebody blocks somebody in the back, and the referee comes out, blocking in the back, game over, Vikings win. You know, and you're like, I didn't even sit down, I didn't even get my hot dog, you know? So you're like, can they do that? Because that would really be good. All right, yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Here's what they do. Blocking in the back. 15-yard penalty, first down. The game continues. When you fail, it's a penalty, not game over. That's That's the way God, he says, it's a penalty. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You feel the grief, the guilt of your sin. He convicts you. He throws the flag. Then he says, get back up, get back in the game. Get back in the game. You say, but I failed. I'm no good. I'm no good. Listen, Your good works didn't get you into heaven. It was grace that got you into heaven. Get back into grace. Get back into grace again. Now, now some of you say, well, I didn't realize I can fail and penalize and and go back and forth and back and forth. That's pretty cool. I'll just keep sinning and back. No, no, no. Paul says that in Romans. He, He knew this. And so God inspired this. He said, no. Some of you say, well, if grace just abounds, why don't I just keep on sinning and asking for grace and sinning? He said, no, no, no. That is not vitality. That is not the way God wants you to live. He wants you to live moving towards him, moving towards him and saying no to those things. And when you fall, you get up, you thank God for grace, but you don't want to live that way. You're not helping anybody by falling grace, falling grace, falling grace. He's saying you're in grace, but to move forward in vitality of superabundance to give to other people. I mean, but some of us, again, we just, you know, Lord, I, I fell, I'm, I'm out of the game. And can you imagine, again, let's just use this football illustration. Could you imagine somebody commits a penalty and then they walk over to the coach, I'm out, I committed a penalty, I'm done, I'm over, I'm done. Like, get in there and block for the guys, you're, you're on the offensive line. No, I, I blocked the guy in the back, I'm done, I'm, put someone else in, you know, I'm over, I'm done. Could you imagine? That's how you act when you sin many times. Church, put somebody else in. I'm, I'm done. I'm failure. I'm done. I'm, I'm no good. I'm just going to sit here. I can't, I can't do anything. Put someone else in. And God's saying, get back in the game. Yeah. Get back. It's not our problem usually that way. How many know our problem is like, what penalty? <laughs> <laughs> what sin? I did not commit a sin. That's not sin in my world. Yes, it is. Okay. <sighs> <sighs> Failure's not final. It's an event, not a destiny. And God says, get back up again and move on in the grace that I have for you. Now, um, when I was losing the weight and doing this, I kept a video journal. And uh, I want you to see this because one night I just kind of blew it. And uh, I want you to see my response to the failure that night. I was trying so hard. And uh, go ahead and take a look at this video. Hello there. It is Thursday, December 18th and I have fallen off the wagon. Uh, oh man, I was doing so good, I was doing so good. And then um, somebody, the, the lady that cleans our church, Catherine, um, she baked these goodies right here. Blueberry pumpkin, pumpkin banana, 
and uh, I got sucked in. I just did. I I brought them home for the kids for breakfast, and then I was on my way home from elder meeting. It was late. It's uh, it was eleven o'clock when I got done with elder meeting. It was one of those long ones, and uh, Becca said, "You need to buy donuts for Connor's." Uh, class tomorrow for choir. So I go into Cub and had to buy these and um, sugar cake donuts. And in the car, I had these. And uh, but I also bought these while I was there at Cub. Not nearly as good as these. And if these and these are in your proximity, which one are you going to choose? And so I chose, sorry, I chose poorly. I chose poorly. I know I did, and I didn't want to. And uh, I think I was put into a bad situation. I was, uh, it was late. I was hungry. I had nothing at elder meeting. I was very hungry when I left there. I should have had fruit. I should have prepared. Um, there's no way in the world that I should have stopped for cake donuts. There's no way in the world I should have got these for my kids. Say, oh, I'll just uh, do it for them. And then, I mean, I had every intention. And there's still three left. I mean, so they can have one and a half each. Oh, this is frustrating. I didn't mean to do it. And I got sucked in. So trying to change before I have to. Um, I don't know what to say. I gotta get back on it tomorrow. Um, I'll be eating this. And it tasted good. It tasted really good. I think that's why we don't change because we've grown comfortable doing whatever we like to do. We have, we think it feels good. We think it tastes good. And we think that's who we are and that's what we like. and. Uh, I don't know, you just can't be around whatever it is that you're trying to change until you're stronger or you have a plan or whatever, but um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I just, I want to change. I am changing. I, I've lost eight pounds and, and I just need to stay faithful, so because I'm not just changing for a little bit, I'm trying to change for a life. And uh, so I suppose I'll be guilty tomorrow morning and I'll probably work out twice as hard. And I don't know if that works even. It's probably like somebody who sins and then comes to church twice that weekend and they think that'll make up for it, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, so. Good night, better days ahead, bye-bye. Yeah, can you feel the pain there? All right, I, I'm going to go and do a whole thing on quick forgiver, quick confessor, and uh, I'm going to let you know I'm adding another sermon to the series. Uh, it's not going to be next week, but it's going to be up ahead. I've got to figure out with the schedule where I can do this in because I don't want to leave uh, this not being communicated to you because I have something with Psalm 51 with David because I believe David was a quick confessor and a quick recipient of forgiveness. 
He was quick to confess his sins when confronted and quick to receive the forgiveness and then move on. And there's a huge key for us to win the victory in this, but I've just got to tell you a a couple of things about this, all right? A, A couple of things about understanding being a quick confessor and a quick forgiver and what God has for you. And the only thing that I'll share with you today is this. In the Bible, there was a day that God told his people to grieve for their sins, It was called the Day of Atonement. And all year long, they would be sinning, and God never said for them to grieve on those days for it. But one day a year, he would tell them on the Day of Atonement, it's sober, you should be sad, you should realize how bad your sins were. And on that Day of Atonement, they would come to make the sacrifice, and for those of you that don't know, we did a sermon on this called Scapegoat. And you could watch that online. But on that day of atonement, the whole community would realize all their sins were so bad and they would grieve over their sins. And they would take care of that sacrifice that day. And then after that, they were supposed to leave that grieving and go on and live in God's goodness. One day of grieving, 364 days of living in God's goodness. I want you to understand, here's how we live. One day of God's goodness, thank you God for the day you forgave me, and then we just wallow in our sins. Oh, I'm so bad. I was so bad. I'm still bad. Oh, I'm bad. God, I can't believe you could ever use, you can't use me. I'm so bad. One day, oh, but that one day you forgave me, that was so good. Boy, that one day, wow, was that ever great. That one day, it was so good. Oh, but now, every day I live right out there before. Isn't it interesting? One day, God says, grieve. The rest of the days, move on. And I believe God is saying to you, the day that you gave your life to me was the day you grieved over your sins. It was the day you came into reality that your sin separated you from God and you said, I grieve this. I'm lost. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But God said, I have a way for you. And you came to God in repentance. That's what it is. In sorrow, in sin, saying, I turn from that and I turn from you. And it was a sad day that led to the happiest day. And in that one moment, your life was changed. You came grieving your sins, and then you moved forward in grace, and you should start living in the grace that God has for you. You should start living in the joy that he has for you. And you're like, but I'm no good. That's right, you were no good before, but God applied grace. And now you live in the goodness and the grace of God. That's your goodness, not you. And you, you, we've got it all wrong. Stop grieving every day and realize that your sins were covered at the cross. And the day that you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you, he covered you with the perfect sacrifice and now you live in the grace that he has for you. Live in the joy that he has for you. Live in the grace and the strength that he has for you. Realize, and when you think back to that day, think back, boy, that was a terrible day that I was sorry for my sins. I brought everything to you, but what a joy that I get to leave that moment from the cross and get up different and change because of Jesus Christ. Be a quick confessor and a quick recipient of forgiveness and then move forward and live in that grace and forgiveness that God has for you. Now I want you to bow your heads and close your, close your eyes because it all comes to this. It all comes to this. The psalmist said, if God hadn't been there for me, I never would have made it. The minute I said I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love, God, took hold and held me fast. 
And you're here and you might be saying, Pastor Rob, I'm slipping, I'm falling. I've never come into this right relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the moment that we've all been praying for. This is change before you have to, this side of eternity. The Bible says it's appointed, appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment. And on this side of death, you have to change before that moment. You have to change before you have to. Because the Bible says there will be a moment that everyone will change because they have to. But it will be too late for those that have not made that decision to follow Jesus Christ on this side of their death. The Bible says there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every one of them will realize that. But only those that have made that decision on this side of eternity will have that opportunity to spend it with Jesus Christ. So he says, change before you have to. There will be a day you have to change because you have to. And you will come face to face with the reality that you mocked or you made fun of or you didn't believe in. But you can change before you have to. And so in this moment, are there those that say, Pastor Rob, I'm here. I want to change before I have to. I want to do this. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will you pray for me, Pastor Rob? In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And I'm going to ask you to look up at me. And I will acknowledge you that your hand is raised. And then you can put it down. And I will include you in the closing prayer. This whole series comes to this moment of you saying, I will change before I have to for eternity. Your works don't get you in. It's grace. It's grace. It's been explained. You understand that. It's grace. You bring your sins to Jesus, and he gives you grace. And if that's you, you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me in that closing prayer. Right now, all across this place, would you slip up a hand and look at me so I could acknowledge that? And then you can put your hand on. Yes, yes, I see your hand. Yes. In the middle section, many hands going up. And in the back, yes, 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 yes. Way in the back, a couple hands together. And there, and there. Yes. And in the front, there. Wow, they're, they're everywhere. There's hands. I'm looking to my right, your left. Boom. Yes, yes. Way in the back, too. They just went up together. And in the front, this section over here. Yes, I see your hand. It just went up. I come into agreement. Yes, your hand. You almost are hidden behind that pole there, but I see you. God sees your hand, too. Yes, I come into agreement. Maybe there's some watching online, and I can't see you, but just know that God sees you right now raising your hand. This is real. This is real. Others that have done it and late. Yes, Way over there in the back. Yes, yes, yes. This is what it's all about. Change before you have to. Change. Yes, in Jesus' name, I come into agreement. This is your moment. Yes, I come into agreement with you. Yes, 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 yes. This is so real. Way, way, way in the back. I saw that. It's so good. It's so good. Yes, you're holding each other's hands up. Yes, I see that. Yes. Wow, all across this place, you can put your hands down now. I've seen these. These are so good and I want to come into agreement with you and I want to pray a prayer and I want to pray this and I want you to just repeat it after me out loud and I'm going to ask those around you to pray it with you as a form of encouragement because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ forgives you of your sins and that God raised him from the dead that he's your Lord and Savior you will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life you will move into the life that God has for you so let's pray this dear Lord Jesus I am sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong. And I ask for forgiveness. I ask for grace and I receive it. I believe you died on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven. And I thank you for that forgiveness. Help me to live for the rest of my life serving you, Jesus. In your name I pray. And God, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer. So simple, it's so true. They are forgiven. 
They believe it. They know that they come to you with nothing but sins, nothing but sorrow, nothing but an ability to turn away from them. And they thank you, God, that you forgive them now and they can now live for you. And I thank you for the grace that's been applied to their life. And I pray that they would live this day forward in that grace that you have for them. And they would know that they have been changed and now they can move from vulnerability to abundant life, to vitality in you, Jesus, with superabundance. I thank you for this decision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Can we give a hand clap for those people that made that decision?